is unique in our, in our story and in our life as, as Valley Hope. And anybody here, when we were back, uh, way, way back, you know, we started, it was the watershed, and then it was even the Gray Eagle, which still isn't, it's not even there now. But so way, way back, when we were in a bar, anybody, was anybody there back then? So that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it really was, I mean, we, we, we always joke now uh, that if there were a book in which you would say, here's like the 10 ways to destroy a church, it was like we were writing it, you know, we, we were, just did everything we possibly could. Uh, so it, it's, it's an absolute miracle. It's great to be here. Finally, to have a home, this like, this, this people that have just been wandering and looking for a place, and it's just beautiful to be here with you guys. So um, as she mentioned, I'm a missionary with EPC. That's your, that's your denomination, and real specifically, I'm your missionary, which means these stories that I'm going to tell today, they're your stories. As I go, you go. You go with me. Um, there's a real famous story about William Carey, who was a missionary to India, and as he uh, had his heart warmed towards missions and towards those people, he gathered around him a group of really wealthy business people, and he told them, he said, uh, I'm the one who's willing to go down into the darkness of the mine if you will hold the rope. That was his phrase to them. And so he continually attributed to them the abilities to, uh, to come along with him. And he was one of, the, one of the missionaries that changed the entire structure of how we do missionary work, that, that regular people, not denominations, not, not uh, churches, but the people in the churches would be the ones who would give sacrificially of their own time and energy and resources so that others could go and hear the gospel. And so you're very much a part of that, and it's incredibly exciting. The work we do real specifically, I-10 stands for the International Theological Education Network, a bit cumbersome, so we just say I-10. We hope people just catch on to understanding that. And we are the, we are the training arm of the EPC. So the EPC, our denomination, we are reaching out in primarily Muslim and very, very hard-to-reach areas. And so about 75% of our missionaries are in Muslim regions of the world. And what we began to realize very quickly is that in those regions, the, the resources for them, once they became a Christian, were incredibly sparse. And so you can imagine some of these places like Pakistan and Afghanistan and Jordan and Beirut that when somebody were to come to Christ, uh, all we had for them was a Bible and a lot of prayer, you know. And so we started to say, you know what, there needs to be places where these folks can get an education and continue to grow. Uh, and so they started I-10. And so what we've done is we've moved into places by invitation of the people that need uh, these resources. And we come alongside those national leaders. And we just have been praying like, Lord, give us that man or woman of peace who has a heart and a burden and a vision to train their own people. And then we just pour into those individuals. So we have 10 sites around the world, 10 indigenous leaders that are starting training centers. And then we're the resources for them. So we do a lot of traveling here from the States. There's three of us on the team, one in Phoenix one in Virginia, and then myself and my family just above Atlanta and Georgia. And so we travel about 100, 110 days a year to these 10 sites. And what we do is we go and we spend time with those people, those leaders, we pour into them, and we just ask the question, how can we serve you? How can we help you? What do you need? And then we come back to the States and we partner with other ministries here and seminaries and throughout our entire denomination, and we bring those resources back to them. So I'll tell more about those stories. But that's, in essence, that's our work. And so it's growing. I can tell a little bit more about the 10 places where we are, but that's, in essence, what we do. And I'll start off today, oh, a couple quick stories. So this, I wish this was some sort of crazy missionary story right here, and I thought about telling you one, but it's not true. This was a horrific accident with tater tots, so that's, that's all that is. I don't want that to be distracting, but um, 
I start off with a story this morning from a place called Malaga. Just talked to a young man this morning. Where are you that's thinking about going to Malaga? There, there he is. Okay, so Malaga's in Spain, just above Madrid. One of our sites there, pretty secretive place, run by a man named Stephen Kelly. Stephen Kelly is uh, an Egyptian man who was a Muslim who came to Christ and quickly became this it's unbelievably blessed evangelist throughout the Muslim world, just known for it. So he's been to over 62 countries. He can tell you on any given day what the price on his head is worth in most Muslim countries. He's a wanted man. His name obviously is not really Stephen Kelly. That's what he goes by. Um, and so he travels the world now training Muslims. And, and what he began to see is that a number of these Christians who are coming from an Islamic background get kicked out of their country in the Middle East and many of them go to Europe. That's where they're sent. And he said, what if now God might give me a vision to take these people who have come from this place and in this region now of the, of the world where so many uh, previously uh, Muslim people are coming, we could train people to be church planters there. Give them a new vision. Give them a new vision. And so his training center is up in the hillsides and these olive groves kind of hidden up in Malaga, Spain. And there he's got people, um, you know, up to 12 times a year, once a month, they come from all over the world. And just sitting there and hearing the people's stories, one of the most amazing experiences in all of these years of my travel, just being with those people from Iraq and Iran and from Syria who've had to flee situations, who have gone through persecution. One of the last courses they did there is they brought in an international lawyer that taught them how to take portable uh, devices so that they could document their, their persecution and how to train their people through PTSD because of what they've been through. So just unbelievable work there. But the first time I went there, I flew into Madrid and the man picked me up. I hadn't met this man before. He was one of their drivers, and he was driving me back up to the village, and we got to talking. He was from Iraq, and so as I asked him more about his story, he gave me this incredible vision of work and a vocation, and that's what we're going to talk about today, about what it means to be in partnership with God, with his kingdom around the world. And so this man began to share more of his story with me, spoke great English, and he was working for the government, was a very uh, uh, strict Muslim in Iraq, working for the government in the area of customs. And so it was his job every single day to make sure that when the things came through the line, if there was anything that smacked of Christianity, it would be removed, okay? This man has this amazing experience, comes to Christ, and has a decision to make. Like, what do I do now, right? Like, if I come forward and tell everybody that I'm a Christian, I'm going to lose my job, uh, potentially be killed uh, by other members of my family. And so he decides, just prays and prays and prays and says, Lord, I'm going to stay right where you've put me, okay? In the course of the next few months, he finds out just by the, just by the behavior and just sort of the, the sense of this, this coworker of his where he finally gets up the courage to say, are you a believer too, he says, yes. And so they, they band together and they say, well, here's what we're going to do then. So we believe that our calling now is to work in this customs unit in Iraq and to make sure that every piece of Christian paraphernalia that comes through here gets through. So every single day, like by fear of death, he knows if he ever gets caught putting in through a Bible or, or a track or some sort of recording on a flash drive, any of that stuff gets through and it's on his watch, he can face imprisonment. Then if they find out he's a Christian, he could literally be beheaded in the square, right? He's doing this day in and day out. And finally, it got to a place where he was, he was discovered, he escapes, he gets to Spain, and he's doing this job now. But it was an unbelievable moment to, to sense in the way in which God has called people himself to do this incredible work of the kingdom and challenge my own view of what it means for me to get up and go to work every day with purpose. So our text this morning, if you want to turn with me, Matthew 20, 
Jesus is going to tell us a parable, and it's about the kingdom, and it's about vocation, it is about work. Oh, it's up there. Perfect. He says this, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give to you. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyards too. And whenever, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. It's the word of the Lord. So this parable is unique to Matthew. Unique to Matthew. It's the only one. A lot of the passages that we hear about the life, the ministry, the death of Jesus, it's recorded all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke's gospel. This one here is the only one. And we know that what Jesus is doing here, and the reason why Matthew chose it specifically is because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, a very unique of all all the gospel writers. He's writing to this Jewish audience. And one of the ways that we know that this is a Jewish audience, because he uses this phrase, he says, the kingdom of heaven. Gentiles and everybody else would have said kingdom of God, so it's very unique. And then what Jesus is doing here is he's fundamentally challenging their view of what the kingdom of heaven actually means. What does it mean, this kingdom of heaven? Now, to the Jews of that day, they very much would have thought of it as this political, geographical, like like Israel is going to come and be a huge powerhouse. They're going to overthrow all of Rome. Jesus did not fit that picture. It's why they crucified him. He didn't bring the kingdom in the way that they wanted to. And so, so specifically, Matthew is saying to this Jewish audience, I'm going to include this story. This is a really important story. It's a teaching of Jesus that gets to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we're talking about bringing the reign and the rule of God to every sphere of this world. Not just personal hearts, but every structure, all social evils, like transforming the whole world. And so Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives us a different vision of work. Work within the kingdom looks very different. He says at the beginning, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So you have to understand a little bit of the concept of time here. One of the only places I've been that still uses this unit of time is Ethiopia. So when you go to Ethiopia, they, their entire clock is from 6 to 6. That's a 12-hour day. So, they just, so 6 o'clock in the morning is, is hour 1, Okay. So on the, this is what really gets you, but in Ethiopia, it's, two, it's the year 2017 right now on their calendars, just the way their time works. It's very, very confusing. But that's how they work, and that, that's, that's a very ancient time. So Jesus, when he says, 
They went out in the first hour, second hour. That's what he's talking about. It's like six to six. And he's going to give them a denarius for their work. Okay. So you imagine it's about six o'clock in the morning and the master of the house is going out and he's collecting these workers. It's very early in the morning and he promises them a denarius. A denarius is like one day's wage. So if we were talking about in today's time, maybe 50, 75 bucks if you get minimum wage. Okay. Just day laborers. They're not, they're not on, on any kind of salary. They have no guarantee of work the next day. They're just showing up, picking them up in the truck, and they're going out to the field. So at the very beginning, what we find then is the master has everything that he needs, doesn't he? He goes out first thing in the morning. There's laborers there. He picks them up. They set a price, and the work is getting done. And so the really odd thing about this story is that he goes out again to get more. He doesn't tell us in the text that he needs more or that the work isn't getting done. Sounds like he got the people he needs. He goes on, but then he goes out again. And it would have been the equivalent of like 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he goes out again at about noon. And then he goes out again at 3 o'clock. And then the craziest thing is it says he goes out on the 11th hour, which would have been 5 o'clock. There's just one hour left in the entire day. And he goes out and he gets more workers. This would have been when they were like cleaning up all the tools from the day, picking things up, talking, hanging out, and getting ready to go home. And at that point, he gets in his truck and he goes back and he finds more laborers and he brings them in. That's the image that we have here. And remember, from the beginning, Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like. It's a very different vision of what work looks like. So the workers are different in one way. The only difference that we hear, at least in this story, between all these workers is what time they showed up. That's it. How many hours they work. That's it. We don't hear that there's any more skill that the others have. We don't hear about any of their economic situation. We don't know that they're different in any other way, that they're special somehow, that he chose the first people, other than the fact that they were there. And that when he goes back again, he's not looking for a particular kind of person, just another person who is there and is willing to jump in the back of the truck and go with them. And that's the way that they're similar that we don't have any haggling going on. And even as the day goes on later and later, one of the most amazing things about this is those people don't even know how much they're getting paid. Tells us in the text that he says, I'll pay you what's ever right. And they jump in the truck. And so the similar thing about every person in this story is that their response to the, the man of the house is immediate obedience. They jump in the truck and they go. They go into the fields. He gives them a job. They don't need to know how much they're getting paid, but they go. Every person goes. And when God calls us to join his kingdom work, our response needs to be the same. They didn't ask a lot of different questions about the work that they were going to do. They didn't know what the conditions were going to be like. Apparently, they don't even know a whole lot about this master, which is very much the situation many of us come into when we come into the kingdom. As we learn, as we grow, there's not a lot of dialogue other than the fact that they were standing idle, that God has come and has given them a job, and they respond obediently. And the reality is, is that especially for those hired after that first segment of time, God does not need us. God does not need us. You know, frequently it's a part of our, our time together and our spiritual formation. When our team of I-10 gets together, we, we constantly have to remind one another that we lie awake sometimes in the middle of the night thinking this is all on my shoulders, right? And we have to look each other in the eye and say, this work is going to go forward with or without you. God does not need me. God does not need you to do the work in the world. It is an invitation to come and join him, which is a very, very different vision of work. And finally, we let God determine the rewards. That might be one of the hardest parts of this story for us, is that God comes to each one of us, and there is no guarantee 
especially for the people that come later, there is no guarantee of what they'll get out of this. And for some people, particularly um, in the places where we are, the work of coming into the kingdom has cost them. In terms of, of what we would say is the reward, we would say they haven't received anything but sacrifice in their lives. And so we get to the end of this story, and probably for many of us, what we've been thinking about then is that the kingdom of heaven gives us a very different vision of what fair is. Not just about what work looks like, but what fairness is. We get to verse 11. And on receiving it, the money, they grumbled at the master of the house. That's not fair. Right, so this is what Jesus wants to bring us to in this story. This is the, he's a master teacher that's painted this picture, and now he wants to close in on the heart, and he wants to get to this, this question for you and me. Is my work, is my vocation, is my calling to come alongside God more about what I'm working for, or is it who I'm working for? That's what Jesus is asking in this story. He's going he's to get to the heart of it with these folks because as they come forward, he starts intentionally, I think, with the people who worked only one hour that day. And they come forward, they put out their hand, they get the Daenerys, and they're told in the text, same thing I would think, same thing as you. He reads their minds, he's saying, now you're assuming like the people who worked all day long are thinking, oh, he's going to be even more generous with us then. Can't wait to see how much we get. And it gets all the way down from the 12th hour to the ninth, to the sixth, to the third, and the people who came and showed up at six o'clock in the morning to work all day long, it says in particular in the scorching heat, they also just get one denarius. That's not fair. That's what I think when I read it. It's what you think. It's the most natural response. It's almost as if Jesus wants us to say that, that he paints the picture in such a way that, that our hearts cry that out. And I'd be any preacher who tells you that, that somehow, some way, we're going to switch this story around to make it sound fair is not, a, not an honest preacher. Because this is the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. That this is what the kingdom is like, he said. The kingdom is not fair. And you don't want it to be fair. And I don't want it to be fair. All right, the reality is, is that if the, if the kingdom was set up the way that I would want it or the way that we think that we would want it, then it would look very much like every other religion in the world that would say, when I pass from this world to the next, that I'm going to stand before a holy God and he's going to have a scale and all of my good deeds and all of my horrible deeds are going to be weighed out. And if in the end of time, somehow, some way, my good outweighs my bad, then I get to go to heaven. But the reality is, the scripture tells us, I'll tell you, if there's just one drop, there's just one deed that is evil, what the scriptures tell us, it says, like, the scales just do this, people. That you don't want a fair God. That you do not want to be rewarded, and I do not want to be rewarded according to what I have done. I don't really, really, honestly want it that way. And he uses the term wages here. He says, the kingdom is like this. It's about a master who is giving out these rewards. And the scriptures tell us, he said, you know what your rewards are? For all that you have done, no matter how good it has been, the wages of our sin is death. That's what we get paid. If God is fair, that's what we get paid. But thankfully, God is saying, this is what the kingdom is like. And even though, even though we are this entire time being revealed to, to see this amazing master who is, who is just overflowing with generosity, even though he says this is what the kingdom's like and it's amazing and it's gracious and it is abundant, our minds go to those who are not receiving. And we say he's not fair. And it can happen in our own lives as well. But I want you to look closer at the passage here because 
Ultimately, they are not even grumbling about the money. Look at verse 12 with me. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. You have made them equal to us. That is a a conclusion about their status. Not you have paid them the same amount of money as us, but in somehow, some way now, by paying them the same amount of money, you have made them equal to us. You have treated them the same as us. That they have become as valuable as a worker in your eyes as we have. They have become equal to us. That's a mirror into their own souls and to ours as well. That we can very quickly, just like these workers, turn our salvation into something that I have earned on my own. That I pulled myself up on my bootstrap. That I was the one who was out there at 6 o'clock in the morning waiting for the truck to come. I'm the one who's worked all day. And how dare you give that same exact grace to somebody who's a Johnny-come-lately. Someone who doesn't deserve it. Whose life is in shambles, right? Who was too lazy to even get out of bed until the 11th hour. And you're going to pay them the same exact amount as me after all I have done for you. That's the condition of our heart. That's what Jesus is getting at here. You have made them equal to us. Our own hearts are bent towards this. or Self-justification. Earning things ourselves. Paying back God. We can look a lot like the older brother in Luke's gospel. This prodigal brother runs off and comes back, and the father says, get the robe, get the ring, kill the fattened calf. We say, how dare you? Where's my, where's my celebration? But it's not just about the workers in the kingdom. It's about the kingdom itself. And this is a picture of the master and the kind of world that he is creating for his people. One person who was rocked by that was the apostle Paul who had been a murderer of Christians, who was going around from town to town. If you know the story from the book of Acts, he was persecuting them, throwing them in prison. And he meets Jesus on the road. And Paul even describes himself as one who came a bit too late. One who wasn't one of the first 12. One who wasn't there at the time where Jesus walked the earth. He didn't get to meet him face to face. He says, one born in an untimely way. And he recognizes his own story as one that doesn't fit the mold. He's the one who came in the 11th hour, and the whole first 10 hours before that, he was trying to beat and imprison the workers who were in the kingdom. And yet God calls him to become one of the greatest missionaries in the early church. And he himself writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 126. He says, would you consider your calling? He's writing to the Corinthians church. Would you think about this with me, he says. In Corinth, of all the churches where they planted, it was just a despicable place. He says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the story of the kingdom of God is that what God is doing in his work of saving and redeeming all things is he is looking for the weak. He is looking for those that say, I am sick to death and I need a doctor, Jesus says. The things that are not, the marginalized, the oppressed, those that are on the outskirts, those that for everybody else looking at them, he said, we have lost hope in those people. And in this parable... God says, I am the one that chooses the foolish, the weak, the low, despised, the things that are not. And he's doing it, friends. 
have any opportunity to be outside of this country to see what is going on in God's kingdom, you'd be amazed. This past Sunday, so if this morning, we're thinking even with time difference, more Presbyterians were at church in Ghana than in all of Scotland. That more Presbyterians were in worshiping this morning in South Africa than in the entire United States together. Great Britain now is home to 15,000 missionaries from Asia and Africa trying to re-evangelize it. More Anglicans attended church today in Kenya than in all of Canada, United States, and Great Britain combined. Just in Kenya. God's turning the world upside down. 50% of churchgoers in London this morning are from Africa and African-Caribbean nations. And even though it has been illegal since the year 1970 to ever be a Christian in China, there are more believers attending church there today than all of Christian Europe combined. And God is on the move. And we can be tempted when we hear that to, like, our hearts are just reflected in this story. Are we a people who are going to shake our fists and say, we were here first, we're, we're decrying the decline of the church as we should here in America, and say, you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us. Is that a celebration for us? And if it is on the global stage, sometimes what can happen is that we are, we are not as excited about who he might be doing that among our very neighborhoods. Our co-workers, the people who live across the street, that knowingly or not, in our minds, we might be saying to ourselves, don't make them equal to us. Who do we not want to walk through the door here next Sunday? And I'm not just talking about our simple prejudices. I'm talking about somebody like Paul, who perhaps the week before in many of the congregations that he was ministering in, he had pulled away their fathers and their children the month before and then came to preach the sermon to them on a Sunday morning. You've made them equal to us. So the master of the house, he's obviously looking for laborers for his vineyard. He doesn't care what they look like. He doesn't care what culture they come from. He doesn't care what their music sounds like. He doesn't care. He's looking for people who are obediently going to jump in the truck with him and go out to the field, not ask what the rewards are going to be, not ask what the work is going to look like. They're simply going to go because they trust the master and then make them equal to each other. I want to tell you as I close up just about some of the stories of some of these workers that I've met around the world, some of the people that have inspired me and keep this work going. Incredible people that you and I will never read about from countries that are usually in the top 25 of the poorest in the entire world. One time I was in Ethiopia. When we drove into Ethiopia, we came as Dr. Steve Woodworth and Dr. Bruce Anderson with our briefcases and our opportunities to teach them all that we know about theological education. And we walked into this church and there was, there was eight, eight Christian pastors, men and women, who were kneeling on sponges praying. So we waited patiently because we assumed, obviously, when they're done praying and they look up and they see that we are here, we'll be the honored guest. They'll bring us forward. One of them does finally look up from his prayers. And he goes over to the corner and he gets a sponge for each one of us. He doesn't say a word. He hands them to us and then goes back to praying. <laughs> that was it. 
<laughs> so here we are, and we just did it. We just got down on our knees. We started praying with these guys. We prayed for another 20 or 30 minutes. I don't even know how long they were there for. 20 or 30 minutes with these brothers. And then they got up and said, now we can start our meeting. Those same exact people invited us to Saturday morning, and this is a great thing you ought to try here at Valley Hope. Saturday morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, four hours of prayer. A small little room, same sponges, cement floor, whole community of over 60 to 70 people in a predominantly Muslim village just praying for their Muslim brothers and sisters. And you wouldn't be surprised, 8 to 12 people every single week coming to Christ in this small little village. When we were done with our training with these people, they said, God has just blessed us so much this week with this training. We had brought them the Bibles, the only Bibles that they had in this community. And they said, we're just going to spend the night celebrating him. So you can go on to bed. We know you guys are tired. We're going to celebrate. Well, the next morning we saw them coming out of the church. They meant literally, we are going to spend the night worshiping God. So one of these men in particular, he had a pastoral heart, and he knew that he wanted to go into pastoral ministry. He's 20 years old, and he went to the elders of the church, and he said, I think I'm being called to pastoral ministry. I want to go work in the vineyards for God. And they said, you could do more good in this community if you went to school and became a health worker, because there's going to be parts of this country in this Muslim region where you will not be allowed to go as a pastor, that you will always be allowed to go to as a health worker. So this man who wanted to learn the scriptures, learn theology, learn how to preach, instead goes to school and has to learn health, He's not passionate about at all because he has a larger vision of what the kingdom is about. And so this man steps into this role. And so we met him after church and we said, hi, Lou, can we bring you to lunch today? And he said, no, I can't today. I just got done with church. And what I'm going to do right now is I get into a bus and it, we're in the Rift Valley there in Ethiopia. I take a bus three hours to the top of that mountain up there. And then I hike three hours in. There's families I meet with every single Sunday under the guise of health care for them. And I share the gospel. He wasn't going to be back till the sun went down that night. That was Hai Lu. Met a 20-year-old lady a couple months ago in Vietnam. She was at church that week. She was telling us their testimony. It's an amazing young lady, full of life, full of joy. This small little church plant downtown Hanoi, Vietnam. And her friend came over later and she said, you know, she would never tell you this, but she comes every single Sunday of fear of death because she is regularly beaten by her father and her two brothers for her conversion. And met a man who was from Iran. He became a Christian and led his wife to Christ. They went to a family gathering. At this point, they'd been married for a number of years. She had a, uh, they had a two-year-old child. And because of the rules in that country where it's legal to do an honor killing because you've shamed the family, a cousin came running out at the end of the party into the driveway and put a gun through the window and shot her in the head. And so he now is ministering. He fled the country. He's ministering alongside his new wife who had her husband killed because he had also converted to Christianity and the two of them are doing church planting together in Spain. Unbelievable people constantly challenge my concepts about who the master is, what kind of work has he called us to, what am I willing to, what am I willing to give up, what am I willing to sacrifice and let me tell you this, be the final thing here to think about in this story, which is such a beautiful picture. It is easy for us to look at this passage today and to think about these stories and to be incredibly challenged. And immediately our hearts, because they are bent in this direction, is for us to think tomorrow morning when I get up, things are going to be different. I'm going to be a different kind of person. I'm going to do this. I'm going to not do this. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this, that our hearts already are generating a plan for how we can do it. We want to work for God. 
But the reality is, is that what we need to realize is that in this story, who do you think it is that were the first to arrive at work the next morning? The people who came the 11th hour, who came into contact with the great, generous, unbelievably, abundantly giving heart of this master. You better believe that those folks were not looking to work for anyone else. That they didn't have to force themselves to get up and go to work again. That they didn't care what the conditions might be. They didn't care what the reward was. They said, I don't want, after what I've experienced today, getting a full denarius, though I came at the 11th hour, because he gave me dignity, because it says these men and women were standing on the side of the road, and it says they were idle, that they had nothing to do, that this master came and he gave me a name, he gave me a purpose, he gave me a future. They didn't even care about the denarius by the end, but you better believe at 6 o'clock in the morning they were the first ones there. That that's the kind of response that God calls us to. He says once you meet this master working is never going to feel like work again. It is going to be an honor, it is going to be a privilege, And the reward is the master himself. That's what the scriptures declare. That Paul says that when we get to the other side of this world, what we are going to find is not only a great city of gold, but the truth is what he says is, I'm going to see Jesus Christ face to face, and I will be like him because I will finally see him. God gives of himself as the reward that these workers, more than anything else, simply want to be with this master. With this master. They don't care about an earning statement. They simply want to be with the one who calls them by their real name so that they might truly hear at some point, well done, good and faithful servant. That is my prayer for us and for our work. And again, as I go, you go. These are your stories to tell. These are your people that you're blessing around the world. You all are getting to be a part of the grand story that God is writing across the world, that he is going out hour after hour after hour, and he will not stop until the very end, giving out the gracious reward of spending eternity with him as laborers in the vineyard now. It's a great calling, and I thank you for the way you have loved our family all of these years now. We're going into our fifth year of doing this work, the way you've supported us, the way you've allowed us to have a front row seat to what God's doing in the world today. Let's pray. Father, these people are more than just stories. Real human beings, Lord, who are sacrificing much for the sake of your gospel going out and lives being transformed. Father, I'm just humbled as I sit here today with these brothers and sisters and pray that they too would catch a vision for what it might mean for them to step across in their office place, in their neighborhoods, in their communities, at the gym, at their school, wherever they might find themselves, Lord, that that they too might simply be a person who has stepped into the reality of what it means to be a laborer for this master for you, Lord, with a simple story telling of what it was like the first day that you called their name and how eagerly he is to call their name as well. Bless this church and this community, Lord, and thank them for their sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.